Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. This is the first week that we are celebrating Advent, the first week of the Advent season. Our scripture reading this morning from Luke, the Luke scriptures we're going to be in the next few weeks, all come from the lectionary. This is a habit that was developed actually in Jewish culture. This was a habit, and Christians in the early church adopted it, where if you follow the lectionary, the whole church is following these same scriptures. And if you follow the lectionary readings, you'll make it through the whole Bible in a couple of years. And this uh, lectionary follows the church calendar and has thematic scriptures for every day. So we are rooting ourselves in the Luke readings of the lectionary as we start the church calendar. This is the first day of the new year, according to the church, the first week of Advent. As Sam mentioned, Advent means arrival, and it, we celebrate the past, present, and future arrivals of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, here with us. If all of world history were a timeline, way over here, we have all things created. And then somewhere around here, we have Jesus coming to earth in the past arrival, the past advent, baby Jesus, that we love to celebrate on Christmas, which is really fun, but there are more advents than that. So this is what we would call past advent. And then there's this whole section of history that we're in now. And it's where the kingdom has been ushered in by Jesus, but is not yet fully revealed. This is what we call the present advent. And then way over here, we don't know where. It may not be way over here, but somewhere over here would be future advent, the return of Jesus to bring forth a new heaven and a new earth. You've noticed that we are doing a couple things differently throughout the advent liturgy, and that's on purpose because uh, the Advent liturgy, we're not going to take a piece of scripture and study it and apply it like we often do on a Sunday morning. You notice we included uh, poetry within our worship. We have an artist in our community who's creating um, uh, visual art that will be here next week. She still is on vacation right now. So we are trying to engage with the senses and more creatively. So today we're not studying a passage. You'll notice I'm going to use some imagery. So we have to like turn away maybe from our receiving sermon information hat and put on a, a, a hat that allows us to engage creatively, allow our imagination to be evoked when we think about future Advent. And it takes some creativity to talk about future Advent. This is the eternal culmination of God's whole storyline. And it may seem out of order to start with the final chapter, to start with the end, although it's not an end, right? It's eternal. But let's if it were a book, it would look like, why are you starting at the end? Now, for our daughter, Gigi, this is not a weird concept. As soon as we put on a movie, Gigi starts asking, well, but what happens? Like, but who is she going to end up with? But we would just, does this work out okay? We're like, we don't know. We're just watching it for the first time. And she goes on this app, no joke, and she looks at the end of the series to find out what's going to happen. She does this all the time. And then she sits there with this knowledge of the end, and she can settle into the story. We make her not tell us most of the time. Every now and then I make her tell. If I'm not going to finish a series, I just say, okay, tell me the end, Gigi. And she always knows the end. But she can sit in the story with a lot less anxiety if she knows how it's all going to wrap up in the end. And that's kind of what we're looking at here. Like, now I can enjoy the show because I know that those two aren't going to end up together. Or I know that that disaster is going to come to a good end. I can enjoy the show now. So what, what, what does it look like for us to be rooted as Christians in, in the end, in the fulfillment of what this whole story is? What is it still to come? And looking at that, to start off our entire year there 
gives the plot where we are now richness and fullness and purpose. That's why the church starts at the end or the culmination. It gives us a sense of hope. We're going towards something and that something is glorious. This morning's candle was the hope candle. And we as Christians know that our hope is rooted in future Advent. Our hope is rooted in the knowledge that Christ will return. But I feel like this season can kind of force feed the idea of hope. Actually, all of the candles. I was at Hobby Lobby and it's like, put it on your dining table, put it on your napkins. Hope, joy, peace. Decorate your house with it. You're supposed to have it. It can be actually like a little angsty to have these concepts thrown at you like something supposed to be a certain way around the holidays. Hope particularly is an interesting one for me because I feel like there's both positive and negative hope around the holidays. I think there's the positive hope. There's this sense of like, I get some days off from work. I get to go and do something different. Like mom's gonna do my laundry for a few days and spoil me when I go to her house. Won't that be fun? There's hope in a positive sense and that sense of a new year. There's always something around that too. You kind of like, yeah, you have some hope for what's to come. But there's also like the negative kind of hope. I don't know how to articulate, but you know, like I really hope uncle so-and-so does not go there at the dinner table. You know what I mean? There's that hope that some disaster that could very likely happen, a hope that it won't happen. So we kind of also have this negative side of hope. And then there's the kind of hope that we realize that somehow gets escalated over the holiday season when we have a hope that hasn't come to pass. Hope deferred. Uh, Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And for some reason, we feel that extra much during the holiday season, maybe because Hobby Lobby is forcing all these words on us and all of our decor, but also just because there's that sense that hope should be a certain way and sometimes it's deferred. So what does it mean as followers of Jesus to truly hold on to the hope of future Advent, hold the hope of Christ's return when that is currently deferred hope? What does that even look like? Especially when this future coming of Christ, if we're honest, sounds a little mysterious, yes, but even like, even frightening if we think about it. Some of the language around what this moment will be like is really intense. Out of our reading this morning in verse 27, at that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud. How does that work? with power and great glory. In Mark 13, I'll take a couple of excerpts as Jesus is explaining this, this moment, this, this future coming. He says, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be earthquakes in various places and famines. These things are the beginnings of birth pain. This language is, this is not lovely things to think of. And he goes on and he says this, when you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand then let those who are in Judea flee to, flee to the mountains. Like the Bible stops to say, okay, reader, pay attention. You have to understand. And I read that passage. I'm like, I don't understand at all what you just said. The abomination of desolation being where it doesn't belong. How am I? I don't even know what I'm supposed to be watching out for. What? I don't understand. But we have to understand all of this language is kind of a different kind of language. It's creative and symbolic imagery to conjure up um, like a sense of something that our words can't quite capture. We have to think of it this way. We have to think of it like if you were to have two pieces of paper and one was like a Shakespeare love sonnet and the other one was rap lyrics, 
you would know to engage with those two forms of writing differently. You would have different expectations on those. This is a type of literature, an ancient apocalyptic literature is the fancy name, but basically what it is is it's using, it conjures up images and it has like a sensory thing. It, it, it's supposed to evoke something, not be a, a literal, like a news report of what's coming to pass. If I'm honest, I think I've mentioned this before, so you may have heard this, but like when I was a little girl, this stuff scared me to death. And I remember confessing to Jesus that I really, really loved him but didn't want him to come yet because I thought scary stuff was gonna happen when Jesus came. And I confessed that. I remember in prayer just saying like, just not yet, it sounds scary. Plus, not only that, but I thought that when I came to be with Jesus again, whether it was his return or when I went to heaven, I thought I was going to be sort of like floating in clouds singing 24-7. And I remember confessing to him too, just thinking like, I like to sing, Jesus, but that sounds a little boring. I don't want to sing 24-7. And I felt so guilty, you guys. I'm not kidding. I was a very guilt-oriented kid. I felt so guilty, and I would confess this again and again to Jesus. Like, I'm not sure I like any of this. There's so much we don't know about what that will be like, but here's what we do know when we talk about future Advent. Scripture promises that when Christ returns, and he will return, that a new heaven and a new earth come together. It's not that we float to some clouds. That's a, I don't know where I got that. I mean, I probably got that from images, but anyway, there's no floating to clouds that's gonna happen. When we say a new heaven and a new earth, it means there's something new, something we do not yet have a category for. Behold, I am making all things new. And there's a whole lot we don't know, but there is some cool stuff we do know. Remember, this is not literal language. But what we do get is an opportunity to engage our imagination and feel the intensity of it. Can you feel the, the intensity? The cosmic magnitude, the all-encompassing language, like something that the entire earth cannot get away from. Something entirely new is coming. It's a foretaste or a glimpse of something beyond our ability to understand. I really like how Paul uses language around this. In 1 Corinthians 13, which is that whole passage about like love is patient, love is kind, and he's talking about all of that. He says this, for now I see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. This thought of future advent does bring up some poetic, creative language, even for Paul. Like this, it's like a reflection in a mirror. I don't fully see it yet. I'm a visual person, and, and so I told you we're going to try to lean into some imagery. If you've been here for a couple of years, you've heard this story before, but there's like a five-year like, statue of limitations when I can repeat a story, I think. So anyway, but just like, let your imagination think of this moment. So we live in Chicago, or at least most of us, so you guys know that stars are not a common thing here in the city. But both Andy and I, we have families who live uh, in more remote places. So we knew and we could see lots of stars when we were away from the city. Well, we took a group of people one year. Uh, we opened up our little cabin in the woods to a group of people to do a camping trip. And there was a gal who went, who had always been in Chicagoland. She had never seen so many stars, and she just sat there staring up into the sky and was blown away at the number that you can see when you've gone into a really remote area. It's altogether different. But when I was 16 years old, I went on a two-week sailing YMCA learn to sail trip. There were six of us on a 30-foot boat, which by the way is not a ton of space, 
And the only cassette tape we had, this is not relevant to the story, but I just, if you know me, was Nine Inch Nails. Aaron, <laughs> one of my friends was dating a guy into Nine Inch Nails. We had one cassette. If you know me and you know Nine Inch Nails and think two weeks, like this is not a fit. So on the last day, we were in the Georgian Bay and we had to come back across to Northern Michigan. And we were so done with the Nine Inch Nails no offense to the Nine Inch Nails. Um, but we were done, and so we just, we had to have silence. There was no radio signal or anything. So when you're traveling that far by sailboat, number one, it was a beautiful night. So it's just silent, except there's no motor running, right? There's just silence except for the little bit of the sound of the water. And thank goodness, no more radio on. And the six of us stayed up all night to sail through the night, which was way more doable when I was 16 than it would be now. We all stayed up all night, and as we got to the middle, it was a, just a cloudless night. And when you get out into a space like that, you guys, there is no horizon. The blackness of the night meets the blackness of the water. There's no city, there's zero ambient light, there's no trees to block your, there's literally nothing. Not to mention the fact that we were the only boat that we saw all night long, or at least for most of it, because we were just, it was such a remote spot. So it felt like we were floating through the black sky. And you guys, the stars, I've never seen anything like it. They literally went, you could see a star just as clearly there on the horizon as you could up above. That night together, we counted 147 shooting stars, and that's just the ones we were able to see when we happened to be looking in the right direction. I've never seen a sky like that before. And when I glance an evening star now in Chicago, next to the flights going to O'Hare. Sometimes I can see one holding still, and I know it's a star. I know that they're all still out there, even when I can't fully see them yet. That's future advent, the knowledge of something more full, and our evening star is a glimpse of it. So think about this analogy then with our holiday season of anticipation and hope. Because we see little glimpses of something bigger, right? Of something more hopeful, a cosmic picture of what future Advent might be when Christ returns, when this happens. So what does that knowledge, that glimpse do? I think it gives us perspective for a bigger hope, a perspective for where our hope gets to be rooted. We can now see all of life where we stand now within a bigger frame, even it goes beyond our framework. Yes, it's true, but like we have a knowledge that there's a bigger picture than this moment than we're in right now. The biggest picture of God's redemptive plan. And he brings all of humanity fully reconciled all the way. We are reconciled now, but like it's gonna be even better, you guys. We don't even know how to articulate it, but it will come to pass. The culmination of God's desire to be among people when we look at our world now, we need that kind of perspective. We can be people rooted in a hope that's so much greater than anything that we can have just from this world. Our world needs a perspective of that while we're living in the here and not yet. We don't just need it personally, right? We can see it, we need it globally. I mean, the fact that we have the need of refugees is just one sign that our world is groaning for injustice and wars and hurting and senseless violence and all of this stuff. Like we need it to come to an end. And you know what? That's the other thing scripture tells us. All of creation is groaning with us. We all feel like this isn't right. This can't be it. And we as Christians know because of future advent that this is not it. That's right. 
We have a future hope that's more than this. The shalom that is written on our hearts because of we're people from the garden. All of us are. Like, this is what we were supposed to be. And when that broke, we have eternity written on our hearts. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that. If, if eternity is written on our hearts, then we're people who are hardwired to know that there's something to be reconciled in future Advent, and it is coming. Because once you glimpse that fullness of time, once you allow your imagination to dwell on it, you carry deep in your soul that bigger picture, and it brings a, a new and more glorious perspective. Just like when I stand on our back deck in Chicago, looking out over an alley, and I see the evening star, and it's the only one I can pick out, uh, it's sweeter because I know there's so many more out there. There's so much heavenly activity happening with shooting stars and comets that I can't even see. I know it. That's just a little glimpse, a Chicago star reminder that that whole vision that I saw when I was 16, it's still there. And that is so much not even the fullness of what really is there. That was just what I could see with my naked eye. Like with the fullness of the cosmos blows my mind. So it's all just foretastes now. And it's sweeter because we have foretastes. And that's where we start our whole calendar year. We as Christ followers have been gifted a future Advent image, a hope to provide this perspective as we keep on going through the here and not yet. And we can't necessarily comprehend the new heaven and new earth, but there's a few things I'll point out that we do know. Jesus will be there. Jesus is with us now. But Jesus will be there, resurrected body, and we will be there with resurrected bodies. Our resurrected bodies will be hanging out with Jesus. And that is really cool. And I don't get how it's going to happen. There's a big gap that I don't know, but here's what I do know. The wiping every tear from every eye and death being no more, that's a promise. The imagery that, the, that John, the author of Revelation, gives us that he got in that vision is just to speak to this fact that it's going to be so glorious, we don't quite have words for what it will be beyond our comprehension. But I do know that when we're worshiping, God will be with every tribe and every tongue together in unity. Like unity with our embodied diversity, all getting along and joined worship, that's beautiful. That's something we do know. Here's something else I know. When Jesus was resurrected, in his body resurrected, he still bore the marks of his wounds, but they were no longer disabling to him. When we are resurrected, we'll still bear the marks of what this world has left on us, but it will not be disabling to us anymore. Our resurrected bodies will be somehow glorified like Jesus' resurrected bodies. And I believe that we'll be living a Genesis 1 vision of what our lives look like. Remember when we're supposed to be working the land and it will be fruitful. And when we're working together as men and women together with shalom between us and not strife, the curse of Genesis 3 where the strife comes in, where the labor becomes toil, where all of that becomes painful, all of those things, like that gets undone. So when we worship, it's not like we're going to be hanging out in the clouds singing 24-7. It's that when we're doing what we're doing, it will be fruitful and it will be our worship to God. And I think that's a really beautiful image. This image is another one that I thought of. So a couple of years ago, Andy and I did a little vegetable garden. We worked really hard to get all the soil good and to weed it all out. And our crop yielded like one dinner's worth of green beans or all that work. But... We planted two little butternut squash plants. We kind of forgot about them because they don't 
harvest until fall. So all summer they just sat there and we didn't really do a lot with them. And that fall, those two little plants yielded 39 butternut squash. We didn't even know what to do with all the butternut squash we had. I feel like that's going to be the, the resurrected garden work, right? It's going to be like you put in two plants and you get 39 butternut squash. And you get to share it with everybody you know because you can't possibly go through 39 butternut squash on your own. I can promise you that. So that's sort of like the fullness that's to come. When I think about the whole future and, and acknowledge before the Lord that I used to be fearful of it, I love the book N.T. Wright wrote called Surprised by Hope, but I'm going to give you this little image from that. Forget these images about lounging around playing harps. There will be work to do and we shall relish doing it. All the skills and talents we have put to God's service in this present life and perhaps too the interests and likings we gave up because they conflicted with our vocation will be enhanced and ennobled and given back to us to be exercised to his glory. It's all worship, you guys. This is perhaps the most mysterious and least explored aspect of the resurrection, resurrection life. I think it's beautiful to think and to ponder into what the, the next chapter, the final chapter will be because it gives us a hope and a rootedness. What does it mean to live in that hope now? It means acknowledging that all of our lives will be worship, that will come to be our worship to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And while we live in the longing for that to be fulfilled, we can engage now with pockets and glimpses and foretastes of all of our lives being able to be worshiped to God. We get to live with the hope that, that that's actually how we can operate, knowing it's not yet fulfilled, but knowing that's a promise to come. And we can live into that eternal worship and beautifulness, knowing that in that space, God's character will be completely made known and real and mercy, justice, shalom, love, all perfected. And we can live with little pockets pressing into anticipation, anticipated hope based on an assurance that we know that this will happen. We know future Advent because past Advent has happened. This is a promise. This is a promise of what's to come. And we cling to that glorious future hope today, the restoration of shalom and all of it. We cry out with expectation, come, Lord Jesus, come. So let's pray. Jesus, we, um, we thank you that we get to start the church calendar year with a foretaste of the final chapter, the chapter that will take us into eternity with you. We confess those times like I did already when I was a little girl that we just feel a little bit um, fearful of that which we do not know. But we believe in faith that what you are bringing to culmination is just more glorious than our words could even know. So come, Lord Jesus. Bring your inbreaking now. Bring your inbreaking and bring rightness to all of our, our work and our art and our uh, hobbies and our baking and our painting and our everything, parenting. Make it all glorious. Jesus, come, Lord Jesus, come. We thank you that your promises are true. Your promises are always yes and amen. And we just lean into that and pray that you would help us to posture ourselves in hope now. And we can be people who are expectant of little pockets of foretaste in the here and the not yet. We wait for you, we long for you, we put our trust in you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.